What Are You Made Of? It's Mike C-Rock. Welcome to What Are You Made Of? Every episode of this podcast is centered around building ourselves and the people in our lives to reach our full potential. I hope that the experiences and stories of success from these conversations can give you rocket fuel to reach new heights and help you answer the question, What Are You Made Of? What Are You Made Of? I want to remind you that the Rocket Fuel book is available at MikeCRock.com forward slash book. That's MikeCROC.com forward slash book. Go get yourself a copy. And subscribe to the What Are You Made Of podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. If you like watching these, it's available on YouTube at my channel, Mike C-Rock Scirocco. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of What Are You Made Of with your boy, the unstoppable Mike C-Rock. I'm here today with another unstoppable Michael. His name's Michael Alden. Before I introduce him, I want to thank you for listening. Thank you for coming and supporting me every single week. Thank you for the uh, support of the What Are You Made Of movement and the Rocket Fuel book. I'm just honored and very want to express gratitude and very thankful to have you as a part of uh, my mission. And so with that being said, I want to introduce today's guest, Michael Alden. Esquire, is that what the ESQ? It is Esquire, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I have to put that in there because he studied a lot. You don't have to, but. (laughs) He's a CEO, entrepreneur, and three-time Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestselling author. He was named by the Boston, I'm just going to say Bostonian, Boston Business Journal as one of Boston's 40 under 40, and was a winner of the Smart CEO's Future 50 Awards, largely based on his accomplishment of growing a small call center into a comprehensive multi-million dollar marketing firm ranked by Inc. Magazine for three years in a row as one of the nation's 5,000 fastest growing private companies. He has been, man, this guy, look, I'm not, I'm not going to read anymore. He's a, been infomercial king, sold millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars worth of things besides books. And with that being said, I just want to introduce you to my man, Michael Alden. What's up, Mike? Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate you. Yeah, man. Appreciate you too, brother. Thanks for having me on your show the other day. It just released today as we speak. I'm looking forward to seeing that and getting that out to people to help promote your show as well. And uh, we know the tradition that we have on this show is to ask the question, what are you made of? Yeah, you know, it's funny. Uh, I didn't think about that question until you just said it to me before we started recording, you know, and uh, I kind of go back to my roots and kind of like what you do as well, as I go back to the pain that I grew up with and the suffering that I grew up with. And, and I've been able to build upon that adversity and build upon that pain in order to succeed. So, you know, I'm really a compilation of being able to deal with that adversity, deal with that pain, and then just keep going through and going through and going through. Because what I realized in life, and this is kind of like the essence of your book, Rocket Fuel, is like, you know, you really have one of two choices, either give up or you take that adversity, like like you talk about in your book and turn it into, you know, rocket fuel. So I'm a compilation of a kid that grew up in the projects with nothing, surrounded by crime, drugs, and violence. and, And I was able to see that you know, there are other things that you can do in life. There are ways to kind of get through and you can learn from those experiences and you can go one of two ways, right? You can be a criminal or you can try and be a successful human being. And so I decided to go with the successful human being route. So did you, have you gone and made wrong decisions when you were a young kid yeah. uh, and hang out with the wrong crowd? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, I was fortunate I only got arrested a couple of times. I got arrested when I was 14, which is, it was, it was a really interesting moment in my life, actually, when I got arrested at 14. It's kind of like, it sounds kind of silly now sitting here at 46 years old, but it was at one of those moments that literally changed my life uh, for the better, actually. Uh, you know, everybody in the neighborhood, they all had dirt bikes and you know, most of them were stolen dirt bikes. <laughs> and, uh, and I had this little, it was a Harley Davidson, actually. It was a AMC Harley. It was two stroke thing was fast as hell. And I dropped my girlfriend off at 14. There's a problem there, but Dropped my girlfriend off at 14 at her. She lived in the projects, just the other where, project. What city was this? In Beverly, Mass. 
people joke around this it's projects in Beverly Mass. Look, there are projects everywhere, man. They, like every town, the nicest towns in the country have projects. And I was just, you know, I happened to be in one of them. My girlfriend was in the other one, dropped her off. And uh, I came down this hill by my high school. I was a freshman in high school and I saw the lights of a police car behind me. So I figured, oh, I had all my buddies, they had, they had um, you know, they'd outrun cops. At least they said they did. So I said, ah, well, you know what? Fuck it. I, I think I can do the same thing. So I decided I'm going to outrun the police. That turned into two police cars uh, following me. Then it turned into three police cars following me. And then it turned into pretty much every violation you can imagine on a motor vehicle, blowing through two stop signs, cutting across street cars, you know, just you know, driving off the side of the road, <laughs> dumped the bike. I got arrested for, and it made the front page of the paper. And it said, cyclist 14 faces many charges after schoolyard chase. And, you know, the next day at football practice, the coach was like, hey, did you hear about this crazy kid driving around Beverly like a lunatic doing all sorts of stuff? Like what a maniac, you know? And I said, well, that was me, you know? And so that was like the first time where I realized that decision that I made could have been a life altering consequence that literally could have changed my life for the worse. And fortunately, they sat me down and said, look, you know, if you ever do anything like this again, you're off the team. That was the first thing. But I got arrested and I got probation. And when I got probation, I got a, a probation officer. His name is Jeff Ryan. This big dude. He played in the CFL. He actually drove a Ferrari. He drove a Ferrari because he played in the CFL. The guy actually made money. And he was a big, scary looking guy. And I used to have to report to him every week. And not only did I have to report my grades, but he used, you know, was asking me what I'm up to. And he would go to all my football games. He took a real interest in me. Not that I didn't have that. I mean, I had coaches and teachers. My parents were involved, even though, you know, we grew up kind of tough. But, you know, Jeff Ryan basically scared me into success. And he said, look, you know, there are certain ways you can go. And you can, by the way, I, when I got uh, probation, I also had a year hanging over my head at 14, meaning if I screwed up, I was going to go to juvie, right? Right. right. Uh, and fast forward to years later when I was a, um, what they call 303 certified by the Supreme Judicial Court here in Mass, meaning I can act like a lawyer because I was in my last year of law school and I had a bunch of cases in the toughest town in Massachusetts called Lawrence, Mass. And who was the uh, probation officer that I had a bunch of cases with? None other than Jeff Ryan. So I was able to tell him, you know, thank you, man, for that. So yeah, I, you know, I used to fight all the time too, like all the time. I mean, if I wasn't fighting in school, then something was wrong. You know, why, I've been why, why though? What was, cause the, I'm a big what, dude, man. I'm a big dude. The, and people used to just fuck with me plain and simple, you know, so it's like, you know, you want to shout at the title, you know, and that was it. And I, I never brought it, but when it came to me, it was usually lights out. And so I've been shot at like point blank range, point blank gun pointed at me, fired. I've been stabbed. I've uh, been jumped. Uh, and I was always the type of kid that, you know, I just did back down too, you know, but I didn't bring it. Like I didn't, I didn't enjoy it. Like I was a tough kid, you know, like being punched in the face hurts, you know, you know, having your nose broken five times hurts. <laughs> it's not fun, you know? So, but at the same time, you know, when you talk about what I'm made of, like that mentality of being that kid from the streets and being that kid with a chip on his shoulder is who I am today. I just harness it a little bit differently. Like I'd love to punch some fucking people in the face in, in, at 46 years old, but that doesn't make sense. I got too much to lose. Yeah. So what do I do? I take it, I harness it, I, I embrace it, you know, and I say to myself, all right, well, that negative energy, how do I turn that into, into a positive thing? And how do I turn this whole situation around so that, you know, we can actually do business together and we can build a relationship together? A funny story about the whole fighting thing is some of my closest friends, I literally met in a brawl. Like we became best friends after just fighting because we'd kick the shit out of each other and realize, man, we're both tough dudes. We're not bad people. It just, it just is what it is. And let, let's be friends. So, and, and, and by the way, that happens in business all the time with me as well. Like as a lawyer, you know, when I was practicing law, I used to battle all the time. And that kid from the projects would always come out. You know, you have to be careful, especially not in the courtroom. You know, my ex-wife said to me, she's like, you're a lawyer. You need to start acting like it. When I was in federal court, I wasn't dropping F-bombs. But sometimes when I was on conference calls with the lawyers, I was. 
And, you know, it's like, uh, it's a weird thing. There's a code of ethics and, and kind of a morality code uh, that's not, you know, necessarily in writing with lawyers. When you drop an F-bombs with lawyers, it just doesn't, it just doesn't look good. So mm-hmm. I had to kind of change my mentality, you know, pretty quickly. So yeah, the, the long-winded answer, I was a punk, man. I was a real punk. And um, I'll just tell you too, one more thing, like one of the life-altering things, again, I was 15 now and, you know, I was beating people up. I was stealing things. We were breaking into places. And, you know, I tell people, I go, the difference was I just didn't get caught. And when I, my father took me for a long walk on the beach and he said, look, man, here's the deal. Uh, By the way, I never did any drugs too. That's also like one of the big things I think that helped me, you know? So he says, look, you're breaking the law, you're fighting, you're stealing, you're doing all these things. You know, I'm Italian. And my dad says, look, I know guys, like I know actual guys in the mall. And if you want an introduction, like let's, let's meet them. Let's talk to them. Because if you're going to do this, if you're going to live this life, you might as well be great at it. It was the fucking weirdest thing ever. Like my dad was talking to me like he was, it was like, he was like proud of me, but he knew exactly what he was doing. And then he was like, look, here are the consequences. You have to be prepared to go to jail, which you haven't. Oh, well, one time, you know, I was just, you know, locked up or whatever when I got arrested. You have to be prepared to go to jail and you have to be prepared to potentially die. And if, and if you're comfortable with those two things, I'll make an intro to these guys. And, and I was like, fuck, man, like, I don't want to do that. That was like 15 years old. And I was like, I don't want to be that kid. I, you know, the kids, kids I grew up with, they were dead or in jail. I mean, one, one kid I grew up with is, is in jail for life or murder. I mean, and like I testified in the trial. And so like, you know, I saw what that was like. I, I don't, I didn't want to be that kid. And so at 14, 15 years old, everybody who's listening, I'm sure a lot of entrepreneurs have this or, or you have kids that have this. At some point in your life, you have to make the decision, not your mother, not your father, not your coach, not anybody else. So at some point in my life, I was fortunate enough to say, all right, you know what? I can't do this anymore unless I really want to go to jail. Like I want to be somebody. And so, yeah, I was a bad kid, but I was able, I was fortunate to turn it around. Yeah. I mean, I've never been in handcuffs. I mean, I've done some stupid shit, but never been in handcuffs by the police anyway. <laughs> oh, that's a whole nother, that's, but, a diff- but, that's a different podcast. But, but yeah, uh, but you know, I could have, I could have been, <laughs> I mean, I've done some, so lost purpose, lost intention leads you down to destructive path. And I, I see things going on now and I know, and I understand more now where people are just redirecting their focus into the wrong things. Um, and once you find, and you have a purpose and intention and you've directed on the right thing, you become unstoppable period. So it's either building, building or destroying. That's the two choices. And uh, that's what we do now, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, again, it's, you can, it's, it's totally, I mean, people talk about mindset and the shift and the things that we learn and, you know, and I know that, you know, we both have kind of similar journeys and the things that we've learned and we, you know, we gravitate towards other people that are successful and, and we learn from them. And I was, you know, I, I was fortunate to be able to do that, you know, but it wasn't until my twenties where I really started to say, all right, well, you know, I mean, it was in law school and I started to read success books and I was like, all right, like I want to level up, like I want to do more and I need to really do a good job of taking that chip off my shoulder and maybe putting it in my pocket and redirecting it, you know, yep. and it's not easy to do. It's not, you know, because I'm at 46 years old. I look the office I'm, I'm in right now. Like if I walk out to the left, it's a massive building, a place called the coming center. It's actually one of the oldest factories in the United States. It's 11 acres of office space. It's really kind of cool. And actually uh, Italian masons built the place. But as I walk out to the left, I can see the projects that I grew up in. And then across the street, I can see the projects that my brothers, half brothers and my father uh, lived in as well. But so, you know, it reminds me of where I was, but here's the other thing, Rock, is that I'm not staying there. Like I can see it and, and I drive by it all the time to remind myself, but I'm not staying there. Too many people stay there mentally as well. That's the point. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. I, 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 can't, I can't be there mentally anymore if I want to be successful. So when you decided to get out of that 
did you have friends that you were hanging out with that, that hated on you and talk shit about you and because yeah, wrong. because there does become a point just like in life or wherever it is, you know, we talk about, you know, you are a reflection of really kind of the five people that surround you. And it was the same thing. Here's the cool part about the where I grew up is because in Beverly, Massachusetts, Beverly Hills was founded from a guy from Beverly, Mass, right? So, so Beverly, Mass has old money, like really like some of the wealthiest people in the world live here. It's a coastal town is gorgeous. But at the same time, you also had kids like me that were, you know, that were on you know, subsidized housing and Section 8 and WIC and Salvation Army and all that other stuff. So when I went to elementary school, I was able to see that. I could see the differences. You know? So I did have friends that I used to think were rich. They were just middle class or even lower middle class. Like They had a house and their parents had a car that wasn't repoed every, you know, mm-hmm. every couple months. And you know, they didn't lose their electricity because the bill wasn't paid. Like, and I would go to their houses and, and I'd open their refrigerator and it was full. You know? And they had two parents and they had brothers. And so I was able to see that stuff. And those were the kids that I wanted to be with. Those were the kids that I wanted to hang around with. And and the other kids that, that grew up in the project with me, yeah, you eventually you just start to go away. You know, the kid I had mentioned, it's weird. I, I don't know at what point in my life I'll ever stop talking about it because it was such a traumatic event. But, you know, the kid that, that's in jail for life of murder, we were very close. Like we grew up together in the same neighborhood, like we like as little kids. And the day the murder happened, I was supposed to be there. I didn't know what was going to happen. I was supposed to be there. But fortunately, I had already started to kind of get out of the projects. And my girlfriend at the time, uh, her dad was a doctor. I was like, <laughs> she's like, they're super rich, right? And she picked me up and brought me to her house. And there wasn't any, like, I didn't know what was going down. It just happened to happen. And again, it's those little moments, man, that for the grace of God, go I. So he would, was it premeditated or he just was going to yeah. fight the guy or something? For, no, he killed his girlfriend. First uh, murder. Uh, yeah. uh, oh, okay. yeah. I didn't know if it was a fight or something. Yeah, no, it was ugly. Then you yeah. knew the girl too? Yeah. Yeah. I uh, know her really well. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Growing up something like that, even though, you, you know, just I testified, dude, I testified in the trial. So I testified in the, tri- so we were young, we were freshmen, uh, sophomores uh, when it happened. And then years later, when the trial happened, by the time the trial happened, I was class president and captain of the football team. And I testified on behalf of the defense, not because I wanted to, it's just because that's how I was called. Right. And so the trauma of that even compounded even worse because now I'm a senior in high school. Now I'm like, I'm going to college, at least I'm trying to. And, and I testify, I mean, it made actually international news, not, not just local news. And I was um, ostracized in the press. Uh, there were pictures of me and the district attorney facing off to each other. There was a quote that said so much for the class president of Beverly High School. Like it was fucking ugly, right? Here's the crazy thing. The same district attorney that called me basically a piece of shit in the fucking papers and the same district attorney that was on the news, you know, again, saying really bad things about me because I looked really bad because, because here's the thing. I testified. When you grow up the way I grew up, like you see bad things, like really bad things. And so they were, t- you know, they were, they were asking me questions about what had happened when I was younger, a couple of years younger, but now I'm class president, capital football, and like I'm doing things. And so it crushed me. But years later, I graduate college and I was running a local campaign in Beverly and he came to this event and uh, his name is Kevin Burke. And I went up to him and I handed him my resume. By then I was class president in college as well. I'd worked for a congressman. I was definitely going to law school. I handed him my resume and I looked him right in the eye and I said so much for the class president of Beverly High School. I wanted to take a quick break here to remind you that my book, Rocket Fuel, is available for sale now at mikecrock.com forward slash book. That's mikecrock.com forward slash book. Go get a copy and share it with your friends and family. It will change lives, guys. I will not let you down. Now back to the show. And he says, oh, you're, you're, you're Mike. My real last name is Mike Shuko. He goes, oh, you're Mike Shuko. I said, yeah. he goes, I want to talk to you. I want to meet with you. And I said, really? 
So I took that meeting. I met with him and he said, what do you want to do with your life? I said, I want to go to law school. He was a lawyer, obviously. And he said, Mike, I apologize for everything I did. You know, this is the DA, the fucking DA, the same yeah, DA. Yeah. I apologize for everything I did and I will do anything I can to help get you into law school. And he did. And not only did he give me a letter of recommendation, but my last year in law school, when I needed an internship, because I went nights, it's hard to get an internship when you're going nights. He basically, I wouldn't say broke the rules, but he made it happen for me outside of the normal kind of procedures and got me an internship with the district attorney's office. So, and I almost became a DA, but they just don't pay enough. So everything kind of comes full circle when you, I think you would talk about this, about the silver lining and being able to see through, you can't see it now and you can't see it then when you're going through it. But if you can understand that eventually, it might not happen right now, eventually all that negative shit that you're going through can in fact turn into a positive. You just need to keep looking for it. Yeah. I, that's what I say. You look at it, you look for it as soon as you can. Like yep. look for opportunity immediately. As soon as you recognize a setback or disappointment, something immediately, don't like as soon as it accept it, don't try to deny it. Don't let your subconscious mind try to f- fuck with you immediately. And then you, uh, you get a head start on the competition, the head start on the recovery, whatever. And it's just phenomenal, but that's fantastic that you did that. So then how come you don't practice law much now? Like what happened for after you got your law degree? So what happened was I got really lucky. I was in law school nights and a friend of mine was actually working in a call center and she was making like 1300 bucks a week back then. And I was like, if you're making 1300, I'll triple it. You know, cause I had, you know, I'd sold cars right out of college. I was a recruiter before that and, you know, did well there. And so I came into this call center. They were doing, you know, it was like, uh, it was a, like the movie, the boiler room. It was yeah. like that, but there were guys on the ankle bracelet. I mean, they were just like straight up criminals in this place. I'm in law school. I go to get a job there. They actually, they told me they didn't have room for me. And I was like, hold on a second here. I, I'm in a suit. I'm in law school. I know how to sell. I'll crush it. And they said no to me. So I went around the person that said no to me. I went to a different division, which was customer service. I went to customer service. I met a different guy. He hired me, started out in cust- I started out my career in this business of direct response in customer service, which again is a blessing because I learned you know, what people feel like when they call and they don't get their stuff or when they don't get their refund or when stuff doesn't get shipped and all that other stuff, how to handle that stuff. When yeah. I, so when people would call me in customer service, all pissed off, I'd sell them like a hundred units. I said, look, you're never going to run out again. Why don't you just buy a hundred of them? What was it? What it, was it that you were selling? Supplements. We just selling okay. supplements. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So ultimately, so then ultimately they hired me as their lawyer, C-Rock. And I don't know if you know this part of the story, but the day I started with these guys, the fucking day I started, they were sued by the FTC. The FDA came right behind them. The IRS came behind them. And then it went criminal. I mean, the day, like I didn't even have what was called your BBO number yet. I had already passed the bar exam, but you get a card. It's your number. It's like your social security number. I didn't even have it yet. So I was, I had to expedite my license in federal court as well, because this was a federal case. It's a $54 million judgment. They moved for an asset freeze. They moved for a complete takeover of the company and they wanted to shut the company. That was my indoctrination to the law. So ultimately we fought that case. I did a great job. It wasn't just me. There was outside counsel because this was like real deal shit. I just started. But then ultimately they went out of business in 2008 and I started my company essentially doing the same thing, which is better. You know, when you kind of grow up like that in a legal world like that, uh, you learn what not to do. <laughs> so they're also, they, they were doing some great things. They weren't all bad people there. In fact, the people that work for me now were, were the people that worked over there. In fact, the the woman that hired me in customer service, she now works for me and she's been working for me for 12 years. So, you know, sometimes when you're going through whatever, I know that you've had a bad, you know, not, I wouldn't say bad experiences, but you've had some experiences with some of your previous businesses where things didn't really go the way they should have. And you kind of take that negative stuff and say, all right, well, this is how these guys fuck this whole thing up. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to learn what they did. I'm just going to make it better. And that's exactly what I did in 2008. You know, here we are today. And then, so what do you sell now? 
So primarily we sell nutritional products, health and wellness products, uh, dietary supplements. Uh, is and it then your, all, is and it your products or you sub you're subbed out yeah. to do that? Like, yeah. So it's mostly our, it's mostly our products, you know? So my business model is, is somewhat unique. A lot of times uh, people will come to me with a product or an idea and it, it, depending the, on the stage of development, we'll take it over. So a lot of, uh, um, you know, inventors or visionaries or whatever you want to call them, uh, they don't know how to market. Right. And so we do. And so if you come to me with your dietary supplement, that you think is the best thing since sliced bread. Well, we look at it from a bunch of different perspectives. By the way, I still keep my license active as far as the law is concerned. And I, and I would still, stay, still say today that I know more about how to market dietary supplements than any other lawyer on the planet, just because I grew up in it and I'm doing it now. So I'll look at a supplement and we'll say, okay, it's great, good ingredients, good formula, but the science doesn't really match up. So we'll go back to them and say, look, we're going to own it and we'll just pay you a royalty. And if you don't want to do that, that's cool. So that's, you know, that, that's our business model. So we own it. So we do have people that want us to do stuff for them. It usually just doesn't work out that way because financially, like if you want to get to the numbers that we've done before, there's just a lot involved from manufacturing to merchant processing, to shipping, to customer service, to fulfillment, to call centers, websites, all that stuff. And most of these guys, they don't have those, that type of resources. And not only do they don't have the resources, they just don't know how to do it. You know, so, and so, then, we, so how, many, how many people you have working with you? Right now, well, I, you know, at one point, I had almost 200. And I only have 20 because as I've grown up as a lawyer and a business professional, when I first started in my you know, late 20s, early 30s, man, I wanted that big company. I'm, you know, I'm coming in, I'm rocking the $2,000 suits and pulling up on the Lexus and the Rolex, and I'm just a big shot. And I had the fucking corner office. Everything was great. You know, we're, we're, we were spending 600000 a week, not a month, <laughs> not a year, a week in media. You know, we're crushing. It was like, you should have seen it. It was like, it, it was like being in Vegas. The, light, the, the, calls, the phones were always 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The problem is, C-Rock, is I was losing 200 a week. And so, and when I, as I grew up as an entrepreneur and went into debt and talked to people that I owed money to, um, a lot of them were, were empathetic of you know, being a young entrepreneur and they helped me. And they said, look, you know, if you want us to continue to fund you, or if you want us to continue to give you product, you got to make some tough decisions. That means you got to cut you know, 25% of your staff. You got to sub out all these, all these other things. So at one point, I subbed out all of my call center stuff and then I sold my call center. So a majority of my employees, at one point, we had almost 200, 180 of them were just yeah. call center agents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the other 20 are executives. And those are the ones that are still here, the, the other 20. Gotcha. Yeah. And, so you, so, and then, then you went into writing books. So tell us about that. How'd you get into writing books and tell us about the books? Yeah. So I've written a bunch of books, right? My first book is titled Ask More, Get More, How to Earn More, Save More, and Live More Just by Asking. I wrote that in 2014. And you know, I wrote that book uh, initially to sell it uh, on television as an infomercial, kind of is exactly what's happening right now online, where you know it's a it's a lead gen or a lead magnet they call it, uh, where people are going to call in about the book and then we're going to upsell them and sell them a program. Well, that book turned into more than just that. And as I continued to write the book and people started to read the book, they're like, "Man, I think you should get like a real publisher." I'd never published a book before. I didn't consider myself an author, uh, but I submitted it to Greenleaf Publishing. And by the way, I don't know if you know this part. So. Um, when I was deciding how I was going to find a publisher and you travel all over the country and you go to all the different Hudson Newses, well, Grant Cardone's first book was with Greenleaf Publishing. So I said, if it's good enough for Grant, it's good enough for me. And they said, yes. And then when I launched that book, Ask More, Get More, it was everywhere. And when I say everywhere, like it was next to, it was my book, Ryan Blair at the time, because and Ryan and I are good friends because of his book, Tony Robbins and Grant Cardone. And that's, that, that's what it looked like during that time in 2014. That ultimately turned into Grant Cardone reaching out to me and saying, hey, look, why don't you come on Power Players? My second book, 
I got a, and then it also turned into me getting a two book deal with Wiley and Son. So Wiley's a fifth largest publisher in the world. They loved what I did with the first book. The second book is titled 5% More. And the premise behind 5% More, I'll just tell you, I know we're, I'm just, sounds like I'm just drank way too much coffee. No, 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 you're good. You're good. Because I, I did. But, but with 5% More, it's an interesting story. I know you like to hit the gym and I do as well. And I went to a spinning class with my girlfriend, right? And I don't know if you've ever been in a spinning class, you know. One time so. and that was enough to hurt my ass. My so, hair hurt my paint so bad. I had to, like, this is so, the stupidest thing I could ever imagine. So I'm in the spinning class and, you know, now everyone sees what it looks like with Peloton, right? And at the front of the room, there's a teacher and she's, you know, it's motivational and they're pumping EDM music. And, and she says, look, it's a 45 minute class. She goes, look, this is a 45 minute class. And she goes, we have five minutes left. And what I'm asking for you to do for these next five minutes, I want you to give me 5% more effort. She goes, if you give me 5% more effort, you're going to burn more calories. Your heart rate is going to increase. When you get off the bike, your metabolic rate is going to increase. And ultimately, you're going to live a healthier, happier life. And then she said, C-Rock, then she said, anybody can do anything 5% more. And then it was like, boom, like that was it. Like just a bell. Like I didn't have an idea to write a second book. I wasn't even sure what to do. I I jumped off the bike. I cleaned it off because I'm not a slob. I went into the car and I started writing it down. I'm like, man, I wonder if there's another book out there like it. I couldn't find it initially, started to write some things down. I went to my editor that helped me edit the first book. His name is Chris Benyu. He's a professional writer as well. And I said, Chris, what do you think? He said, let's vet it out a little bit. We vetted it out, started writing it, created a book proposal, which is about 180 pages. It was actually 108. And then we went to Wiley through a connection that I had. Wiley loved it and gave me a two book deal. And then my last book, most recently is called Blueprint to Business. And I think you'd appreciate Blueprint to Business. It's truly an entrepreneur's guide to doing the things that most people won't. Like if I need to take the trash out, I'm taking the trash out. If I need to vacuum in the office, I'm vacuuming it. If I need to take customer service calls, I'm in it. If I need to be in shipping and, I, and you can go back on my Instagram and see some of my videos, like I'll pack boxes if I need to. And there's a lesson to that too, because, because when you're packing boxes and when you're taking phone calls or when you're closing you know, mortgage deals yourself, you might see that, hey, you know what? There's something broken here or there's something that's actually working really well here. And maybe we can improve upon that. So that the mentality of being that high level executive and just you know, kind of ruling from the top just doesn't work anymore. You need to actually know what's going on in your business. And I have learned so much about my business by doing the things that most people won't. It's everything from stuff that I don't even know how to do, like programming our phones, because we would have like hundreds of phones and, and understanding, you know, like, our email campaigns and how to do it myself. Like I'm not good at all this stuff. I'm only good at really kind of the sales side of things. But I will work in these different departments so that I could so that I could grow my business. And that's really what my book Blueprint to Business is about. It's about the things that the non-sexy things in business, setting up the business, the back end stuff, again, the customer service, dealing with all the bullshit that you don't see. You don't see it on Instagram. You don't mm-hmm. see the you don't see it when you know, when your bank accounts get frozen or you don't, and, and when, how do you react? Like, what do you do? Because that happens with any business before whatever reason. You don't see that, you know, when, you know, when customers are returning things or all the, just the negative stuff that just happens in business. I show people what, what it's really like to be an entrepreneur because too many entrepreneurs, too many entrepreneurs out there are, they're just unrealistic. They're unrealistically optimistic. Optimism is a great thing, but you also need to be realistic because business is hard, man. You know, it's fucking yeah. hard. And you talk about, you just, we just talked about it, about being able to see that and break through that, that negative thing that's happening right now. That's hard to do. Easier said than done. But if you can change your mental state and recognize that business, real business, not these fucking guys on Instagram trying to teach people how to, you know, how to run a business that have never run a business before, real business, the type of businesses that you and I run with real people that have mortgages and families and all that other stuff that you have to deal with, it's hard. 
But if you really want it, you should learn every aspect of it so that if something goes wrong, you can at least make an intelligent decision on how to then move forward. Yeah, yeah. But there's a fine line there. So for people that are listening, don't take this and say that you should be doing those things and not when somebody comes to you in your business and they say, I need this done. I need help with this. I need this. Don't do it for them. That's not, the, that's not what Mike's saying it's here. Not, Mike's, was, yeah. Because we go through this in our business. And right now, currently, actually, we're working on getting really like tightening this up where we have, for example, a loan officer goes out. They're just salespeople. They're supposed to be getting business. Mm-hmm. They're not supposed to be tied up into the process of the, the loans once they come in. Right. And we're working on cleaning some of that up because it's slowing the prospecting down, which will turn in turn slows the revenue down of the company. So well, you're not saying that everybody should be involved with everything and not doing the duty that they're No, supposed. I'm not even I'm saying you as the CEO well, and me see, as the CEO. Another, even even the CEO has to stay out of that stuff for the most part. But if they need to get in there because there's holes in the boat, everybody's involved with it, whatever. So so if you don't if you don't know how to fix those holes in the boat, the boat will sink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what I'm saying. I'm you're right. I'm yeah. not saying, look, I like you know, we, we at my company, we, we call it a beehive mentality where the queen bee is really the company. It's not me, it's the company. So everybody, if you look at a beehive, right, they're all there to actually serve the queen bee. They're all there, they're creating honey and they're all doing it, right? Yep. But they're really serving that one purpose. And so us, like my CIO, my CFO, my director of marketing, me, my general counsel, like my general counsel will edit videos because he has an undergrad uh, degree in cinematography. If he, he's a fucking lawyer, but he doesn't look at it like I'm a lawyer, dude. No, it's more of like, if we need this done. So I'm not saying, yeah, exactly. I'm not saying, you know, help people out. What I'm saying is, is that in order to be successful in business, even if it is one of your employees, they should know about how the other divisions work. I'm not saying work in those divisions, yep, yep. but you like everyone that works for me, they go through all, you go through customer service, you go through shipping, you go through sales, you go in the studio, we're here in the studio, you learn all the different aspects of it. I'm not asking you to work that stuff, but you should know how all the different departments work together. Because you know what, man, you know, like you see it all the time with sales. Sometimes the sales department doesn't jive with the customer service department because the customer service department might cancel a loan or whatever it is. So now they're mad at the customer service department. But if they don't know or understand why something happened, then it can just change your culture. I know you're big on culture. One of the big things in my culture is making sure that everybody knows what everybody does. I'm not saying do it, but make sure you at least have an understanding. There's an old saying, what you don't know about your business runs you. So yeah, absolutely. 100%. Yeah. So Mike, as we wind this down, how can my uh, audience get engaged with you further? How can they reach you? Sure. Uh, again, thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. Congratulations on your book, man. Thank I know you're you doing Thank some you. great things. I know you got a launch coming up. Yeah. So if, if you want to reach out to me, it's at Mike Alden 2012. People's like, what's up with the 2012? That's just when I started to get busy on social media. So that's pretty much everywhere. Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, Facebook. Uh, you know, Send me a message. If you have any questions, I'd love to interact with you and, and help as best I can. Yeah. And then what book do you want to talk? Tell them to go get What's the most important one to you right now? Well, you know what? I don't necessarily have one that, you know, I think all my books are great. So if you actually go to, so I have a, uh, I do, if you're an author and you're interested in, you know, kind of marketing a book, I do have a website. It's called bestsellersecretsbook.com. If you go to bestsellersecretsbook.com, actually give that book away for free. It's 27,000 words of everything that I've done. But then the next upsell is also all three of my books, Blueprint to Business, a 5% More and Ask More, Get More. And I believe that, you know, look, there's nothing new in the world of success. There's nothing that I'm going to say that you may not have already heard before. It's just kind of my version of it. That's just, that's just the way it is. But you will most likely understand that a normal average everyday guy like you and me can do great things uh, if you learn from others. And that's what I've done. That's what you're doing. And that's what I hope that your viewers and listeners will also do. 
Love it, man. Love it. All right. Final question. Rocket fuel, rocket fuel law. The one I came up with, it's nothing new, but just reframing the way I've, I do it. Taking everything that comes your way, that's usually you would think that we designed to stop you or slow you down and convert it into rocket fuel to become unstoppable. What does that meant to you in your life? And what does it mean to you going forward? What, what your mission is now? Yeah, man. I mean, I just love the concept of rocket fuel. It's kind of like how we started this whole interview is the being able to recognize that you know the world isn't just going to be uh, rosy and and perfect all the time, and and being able to recognize exactly like what you've done, and understanding it, internalizing, and being able to move forward. It's not easy, okay? It's just not. But it becomes a lot easier when you do train yourself and understand that you are going to have the, the adversities, you are going to have the struggles and the speed bumps throughout life. If you can take them, internalize them, and then turn it around, like again, like how you teach people and I do as well, that you know those difficult moments. It really is the struggle that creates life. And if you can embrace that and really, like you say, turn that stuff into rocket fuel, the sky's the limit is an understatement. Love it, man. Love it. Thanks for coming on, Mike. I appreciate you guys. Go support Mike Alden as we do all of our guests. And you guys have been listening to the What Are You Made Of podcast with your boy, the unstoppable Mike C-Rock. Go get that rocket fuel book, mikecrock.com forward slash book. And until next time, be unstoppable. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of What Are You Made Of? Be sure to check my website out at themikecrock.com, themikecrock with no K.com, and let us know how we can help you or your business reach its full potential. Feel free to leave a review or follow me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at MikeCRockSirocco. Again, thank you for joining me and see you guys on the next episode. I want to remind you that the Rocket Fuel book is available at my website, MikeCRock.com forward slash book. That's Mike. CROC.com forward slash book. Go get yourself a copy. Thank you so much for your support and your listenership. It means the world to me.